Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Some true crime cases are solved in a day. The crime is committed in front of onlookers, cameras play witness, and all the questions as to who what and when, is answered immediately. Other cases are never solved at all. There are no witnesses. There are no avenues of investigation. All that's left is a memory of a person who's been murdered, or even more chillingly gone missing as if they never existed at all. And then there are other cases where the frustrating jigsaw puzzle pieces have been strewn about the house. Some pieces to the larger picture lay face up on the ground. Others skitter beneath a sofa or chair. And some of the most crucial pieces fall into the cracks between floorboards. And those cases... Those cases are the ones that seem to resonate most terrifyingly with the world. Those are the cases that give us, as creeps, a need for satisfaction, a need to solve our curiosity, and put to rest our unresolved minds. Over the span of a decade, the story of the McStay family and what exactly happened to them has been slowly put together piece by piece. Joseph McStay or Joseph Sr., was a 40-year-old father of two who owned a successful indoor water feature installment business called Earth Inspired Products. And his wife, 43-year-old Summer McStay, was a real estate agent. Joseph and Summer, along with their two children, 4-year-old Gianni and 3-year-old Joseph Jr., had recently relocated to a five-bedroom home in northern San Diego County, to the avocado capital of the world, a town called Fallbrook, less than an hour's drive from Mexico. Fallbrook, known for its mild weather, beautiful homes, and safe, secure neighborhoods. It was the perfect place to raise their two children. But on February 4th, 2010, the McStay family loaded up into a white vehicle just after dark as seen on recovered security footage and drove off, never to be seen alive again. February 4, 2010 was a brisk but pleasant 13 degrees Celsius and the skies were clear and crisp. And by all accounts, the McStay family were leaving for an evening outing and it was nothing that would have caused anyone any concern. But phone calls from friends and family to the McStays went unanswered in the following days. But there was no real cause for concern still. When those phone calls were repeatedly missed, though, and left unreturned, Joseph's brother Michael decided to pay their home a visit. When Michael arrived, 
Instead of finding his brother, sister-in-law, and their children, he found an empty home, and the McStay's two dogs, Bear and Diggy, were outside and unattended. Michael had crawled through a window into the locked home, but there was no sign of anyone. There was a carton full of eggs on the counter, rotting where they sat, and two bowls of half-eaten popcorn, partly in the bowl and partly strewn across the couch. That's when worry started to seep into the corners of his mind. Not willing to cause any panic too early on, Michael moved the dog bowls to another location in the yard to see if anyone, someone, would come to fill them and move them back to their intended location. If the McStays were on an extended vacation and had hired someone to care for the dogs, Michael would be able to contact them through that individual. So Michael left a note for whoever was feeding the dogs with his phone number attached. And later that evening, Michael did in fact get a call. On the other end of the line, as Michael picked it up half expecting, half hoping that someone would give him a reasonable explanation as to the confusing and concerning scene he had come across while checking up on his brother and his family. Well, instead it was Animal Control. Animal Control explained that they had been visiting the home daily to attend to and feed the dogs. They didn't know the McStays personally and thought they might have been involved in an accident and decided to feed the dogs in the meantime. But as the days passed, and still having to attend to the dogs, it appeared that this wasn't the case. It was at that point that Michael expressed what was happening to his mother, who then called authorities and reported a missing person, or four missing persons in this case. Investigators arrived at the empty home to conduct a search of the property, hoping to find a clue as to the whereabouts of the McStays. But there was little to go on. A few days had already passed since Michael and Joseph's worried mother had reported her son and his family missing. And police were unable to find much more than Michael had on his initial visit. There were the eggs left out on the kitchen counter, still sitting there and still rotting. But there was more out of place within the home. In an upstairs bedroom, a lamp lay on its side, having fallen over, and in the master bedroom closet there were several suitcases, open with clothing inside, and a significant amount of clothing lay thrown about the room, tossed onto the floor. But with all that being said, there was no sign of violence or death within the home, and no sign of a struggle. There was, though, an interesting list of Google searches that remained in the home computer history. Those searches included one, what documents do children need for traveling to Mexico? Perhaps this was the clue that police needed to move forward and past what appeared to be a frustratingly sparse scene. Investigators began pouring through hours of grainy footage of the Mexican border cameras watching people walking across the U.S.-Mexico border, trying to discern which group of four might be the McStays. On March 10th, investigators found a piece of footage that showed a family crossing the border on foot voluntarily. They, from behind at least, matched the description of the McStay family. 
Although family and friends informed police that the man in the footage was far too tall to be Joseph. Detectives on the case were assuming now that the McStay family had fled to Mexico on foot. A few days after Michael had broken into the vacated McStay residence, their white Isuzu trooper was located parked in a strip mall parking lot that lay along the border. This served only to strengthen the hypothesis that the McStays had crossed the border by foot. The real question appearing to police was why had the McStays walked across the border? Why had they just stopped midday, leaving food out, leaving their dogs outside, and left for Mexico? American police officials began distributing flyers and asked for the assistance of the Mexican authorities to post the missing flyers at all the major travel hubs, including bus stations, train stations, and airports in Mexico. Clue after clue in the disappearance of the McStay family turned up as one dead end after another, and investigators began feeling that gnawing frustration by all accounts, the McStays had left unexpectedly and had not attempted to retrieve funds from a bank account with over $100,000 in available funds. To confuse police a little further, parents of both Joseph and Summer expressed to police that the couple avoided Mexico generally due to the drug wars that had made northern Mexico a de facto war zone in the recent years. Given those statements and the lack of preparedness on behalf of the family, it appeared to police that the investigation was veering more steadily towards foul play. The night the McStays had gone missing, they had left their home at roughly 8 p.m. At 8.30 p.m., someone used Joseph's phone to dial Charles Merritt, a man who Joseph had hired to do welding work for his company. But the call was never connected. Charles would later tell police that he was watching a movie and couldn't be bothered to answer and had let it go straight to voicemail. But like I said, all these clues, they all appeared to be dead ends. And 2010 slowly and agonizingly came to a close with no hints as to the whereabouts of the McStay family. And then 2011 passed with only some unsubstantiated look-alike sightings. And then 2012 passed, with no word on the family. It wasn't until 2013 that the case would continue moving forward once more. Almost three years had passed, when on November 11, 2013, a dirt biker riding a trail near Victorville, California, found something terrible. The dirt biker, who was following a trail not far from Interstate 15, a highway which also runs close to the McStay home in Fallbrook, came across what appeared to him to be graves in the Mojave Desert, along with some horribly decomposed human remains, which had made their way to the surface for one reason or another. Investigators, including a forensics team alongside an anthropologist, worked both day and night to fully uncover the two graves, which investigators discovered housed the remains of four bodies. On November 15, 2013, the San Bernardino County Sheriff announced the positive identification of the bodies, 
as those of the McStay family. Joseph, Summer, Gianna, and Joseph Jr. Alongside their bodies was buried a three-pound sledgehammer as well. Finding these bodies drastically changed the direction of the case. Police had been certain that in one shape or form, the McStays were in Mexico. But it appeared to police now that the family had never made it across the border that sat less than an hour away from their home. With fresh eyes, investigators began poring over their previous work and their previous leads. Armed with that new information, one person they had contacted all the way back in February three years previous was Charles Merritt, and Charles Merritt rose straight to the top of their suspects list. As police narrowed in on Charles, who looked to be an extremely likely suspect, police began uncovering new clues as to what had happened to the McStays and what motive there would be for their murder. Investigators came across an email from Joseph McStay to Charles. In it, Joseph threatened to fire Charles if he did not compensate Joseph $42,000, owed for a mess-up on a massive job. Charles had ignored that email, choosing not to reply, and instead used the company website, altering the accounting books and manufacturing fraudulent checks to himself. Police, with this newfound evidence and avenue of investigation, re-examined the Isuzu Trooper, the McStay family car. They also came across Charles Merritt's DNA after swabbing the steering wheel. If, in fact, Charles was responsible in one way or another, it wouldn't have been his first encounter with police. In 2001, Charles Merritt had also been arrested and convicted of stealing over $32,000 worth of drilling and welding equipment from a previous employer. In fact, since 1977, Charles had accumulated nine convictions, most of them felonies. This included a two-year stint in prison in 1978, his longest sentence for a burglary that occurred just down the road from where the remains of the McStay family were discovered. All of that circumstantial evidence, along with 200 interviews and 4,500 search warrants, gave police the confidence they needed in formally charging Charles Merritt. On November 5, 2014, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Police Department arrested Charles Merritt in connection with the deaths of the McStay family. Charles was charged formally with four counts of murder. The trial was delayed, though, due to the repeated firing and hiring of new attorneys. By February 2016, Charles had gone through five separate attorneys. But finally, on May 4, 2018, the trial was scheduled for July 2018. But as things tend to do, it was once again delayed till January 7, 2019. The trial lasted 50 days, and the prosecution did their best to present the circumstantial evidence they had in a clear enough timeline where the jury would see fit to connect the dots and facilitate the conviction. 
In court, detectives pored over the details of Joseph's body having been found with a white extension cord wrapped around his neck. Summer McStay had been bludgeoned to death with the sledgehammer found at the gravesite, and the two children had had their skulls caved in. Prosecutors allege that Charles Merritt had a gambling addiction and killed the McStay family for financial gain. The checks he wrote to himself totaled more than $21,000. In the days after the family had been killed, Charles had used that money to go on a spree at the local casinos, where he lost most of that money. After nearly 10 years, on June 10, 2019, a jury found Charles Merritt guilty of murdering the McStay family. And on January 21, 2020, Charles was sentenced to death. When Charles Merritt's sentence is carried out, that will mean a total of five individuals lost their life and countless more broken hearts. All of that for a few thousand dollars and a work dispute. So, Creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. (laughs) 